Amen. I pray as we look at Daniel 7 this morning that you would stand in awe of your great God. It's uh, kind of an interesting topic that we're going to look at today, the kingdoms of this earth. Daniel chapter 7. We get to interact with something I don't really like discussing, (laughs) something I don't like talking about, politics. Um, I've seen opportunities to share the gospel, shut down because of politics. Um, But politics are a regular part of our lives. How do we relate to this pilgrimage in which we are pilgrimaging? Believer, you have dual citizenship. You are a citizen of the United States of America, But you are, more importantly, a citizen of the kingdom of the Messiah, our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And as we look at Daniel chapter 7 today, you're going to see many kingdoms. And as we reflect upon these different kingdoms, I pray that you would have a greater desire to be more more of a citizen of the of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus and less of a citizen of the United States of America. Too many times I see within our churches believers who are very involved in this world and the kingdom of this world. But the kingdom of this world is perishing. It's passing away. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be doing anything, okay? You You need to be a responsible citizen. You need to vote Okay, but your primary intentions or your primary focus should not be on the kingdom of the United States of America, but rather on the kingdom of the Messiah. And as uh, you had here a couple of weeks ago, our brother that was talking about the persecuted church, you know, what did he challenge you to do? Share the gospel with a couple of people by the end of the year. I learned about that today. What a great challenge. Do that, okay? Because what are you focusing on? Are you focusing on the kingdom of this world? Or are you focusing on the kingdom of the Messiah? Let's focus on the kingdom of the Messiah. Let's look at Daniel chapter 7. If you could follow along in your copy of God's Word, I'm going to read through the entire chapter. Daniel 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my visions by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads. And dominion was given to it. Verse 7, 
After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Now verse 9, as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from, from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened." I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to, the burn, to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. In his kingdom, one that will not be destroyed." Verse 15, as for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Verse 23. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He will be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given, be given, into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion 
and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Let's pray. Lord, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We look forward to the day when your kingdom is established here on the earth, when you rule with the saints on high. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Daniel chapter 7. I have a son named Daniel, my third born. And he heard I was preaching on Daniel, he was somewhat excited. Furthermore, Daniel chapter 7, because he is seven years old. (laughs) Daniel chapter 7 presents the kingdoms of this world. And as we look at the kingdoms of this world, we see that the Lord demonstrates his sovereignty over the kingdoms of the earth. We see that through even the verbs and how the verbs are are, uh, um, the voice that's used. They're in the passive voice. We're given. Nobody takes a a kingdom. It might look like that. From our earthly perspective, Nebuchadnezzar was a great king. He was a powerful ruler. And he trounced and stomped his way through Israel, conquered Judah, destroyed the temple. He did all of these great things. And from an earthly perspective, it's like, wow, look at what he did. No. The Lord demonstrates his sovereignty over the kings of the earth. And how does he do that? By giving it to certain people. Nebuchadnezzar was a pawn in the Lord's hands. That's all he was. And we need to remember that as we live out our pilgrimage here on this earth, that these kings, these presidents, these world rulers, they are simply pawns in the hand of an almighty God. The timing in which this prophecy was given was the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. If you remember who Belshazzar was, he wasn't a very nice guy, not a very moral guy. When you have a transferring, transference of rulership or a, a new governor, somebody that's taking the throne, that's a time of uncertainty. What's going to happen? Furthermore, the uncertainty of the times is illustrated in this text by the use of the sea. In verse 2, Daniel declared, I saw in the visions by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. That's a symbol for, for just tumultuous times. Now, we can't understand or even really relate to the tumultuous times in which the children of Israel would have lived in Babylon to think that there was a, an army that was growing and becoming more powerful under Cyrus, the Medo-Persian army, to think that as that army grew stronger and stronger and stronger, and there you are as part of the Babylonian kingdom, even though you're a sojourner there, it's not, you know, your homeland, to think that this invading force is going to come in and do something you don't really know what, what would that create in you? uncertainty. Now, we might say we live in uncertain times, and, well, we have a new presidential election every four years, and the presidents are getting very different as the years go on. And that can change a fair amount of of things in our culture. That could change a lot of things in our political system. But what do we see in this text? Tumultuous times. Belshazzar, 
not a very good king. We see the sea getting riled up. And what happens in the midst of that riling up? A beast comes out of the sea. The, the book of Daniel is a, very different than, say, Isaiah, which we've looked at so far. Isaiah, you have a lot of figures of speech. We talked about personification, similes, and metaphors. There's uh, some kind of connections there. Here we have symbols, and you have to interpret the symbols. For example, it's coming out of the sea. What is the sea? Sometimes scripture actually explains things for us. We see in Daniel 7 and verse 17, these four great beasts are four kings. It explains for us. Now, this is an important principle for interpreting Scripture. We can't say that the beast is just anything that we want it to be. The Bible explains it here for us. It represents a king. Now then, what king does it represent? That might be the next question. We're going to talk about that. Four great kings who arise out of the earth. Now, back in verse 2, what are they arising out of? The sea. All right, do you see that? They're arising here out of the earth. These kings, they come out of the earth and they go forth to rule. The first king we see is the lion. And uh, let's go ahead and progress through this. Oh, the Lord's going to demonstrate sovereignty over the earth. How is he going to do that? Through his four gifts. There are, four pa- there are eight. There are eight passive verbs of given. The Lord is giving things to these kings. He's giving things to um, the king and even to the saints. And through these, I I, uh, simplified it down to four because I didn't want to have eight points. So four things that God gives, we, we see the Lord's sovereignty demonstrated. So let's take a look at this. First, the Lord gives dominion to kings. This is not something that they take for themselves. The first beast that we see is found in verse 4. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then Daniel continues, I looked and its wings were plucked off. And it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. I find it hard to believe that Daniel would not have understood the interpretation of this beast. This beast must be King Nebuchadnezzar. The reference of him being given a heart of a man must refer to his humiliation. Now, this is a very important point for us to think through theologically. God is the one who appoints kings, and God is the one who demotes kings as evidenced in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. Three years ago, or three to four years ago, as the presidential election of the United States was, um, things were being sorted out, I was kind of scratching my head, like wondering what in the world is going on here? And as I scratched my head wondering what in the world is going on here, What did I have to do? I needed to read Daniel 7. God knows what's going on here. I went down, uh, I went on a trip down the Grand Canyon um, at that same time, and uh, it was very interesting. Uh, One of the persons that uh, I went down the Grand Canyon with was uh, Dr. White. He's the president of Cedarville. Uh, college, and I got to chat with him for a little bit. It was a really nice conversation, and I got to talk to him about the political situation even, and he's a president of a, a Christian college, and there's a bit of uh, uncertainty when a president is going to be elected, and furthermore, when a certain president might impose certain 
uh, requirements upon an institution that you wouldn't be able to agree with and how that could affect your institution financially. And it was very interesting to, you know, he's like, we got plans for this and that and whatever else. And, you know, if we lose government funding for this, that, or whatever else, guess what? Oh, well. Because we are citizens of what kingdom, believer? We are first and foremost the citizens of the kingdom of the Messiah. And what does the Lord Jesus do? He puts some kings into place and then he takes other ones and he puts them out. What did he do to Nebuchadnezzar? He made him like an animal. That's what your God can do. So why should we fear such kings? The Lord gives dominion to the kings of the earth. And here he gives something specific to a king. He gives him the heart of a man. So the first king that we see is the Babylonian kingdom. The second one is the Medo-Persian empire. In this image, you can see there's something in the bear's mouth. The artist has tried to render the three ribs. The three ribs are symbolic. What is this bear doing? He's devouring other beasts. That means he is one kingdom eating another kingdom. The three ribs are probably representative of the three kingdoms, the big kingdoms, that Cyrus conquered. The kingdom of Lydia, Babylon, and Egypt. The beast, the bear, is leaned up on one side because there's one greater part of the kingdom. The Persian Empire became the dominant force within the Medo-Persian Empire. We see this bear in uh, verse 5. I want to read the text. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, arise, devour much flesh. This is the kingdom that conquered Babylon and ushered in uh, the Medo-Persian Empire, which was then conquered by the Greeks, Alexander the Great. Now, we can look at history, and by the way, I'm, I'm giving you history here, all right? And, and this is an important principle that we have to understand when we're interpreting God's word. There's God's word, and God's word is true. And then there's history, and, and we, we, can, we can know a lot, all right? But we don't know everything. And sometimes, you know, we're trying to put the pieces together, and the pieces come together really good, in other times, you know, it's a little bit uh, iffy. But what's always true? God's word. God's word is always true. But this one I think we can stand on pretty confidently because we have one beast with four heads. Alexander the Great was the beast he conquered and then he died. He was a very swift conqueror. That's illustrated in the use of the four wings. The four heads represent the, the division of his kingdom after he died. It was divided into four different kingdoms uh, at the end. It's interesting with this kingdom that we specifically are, are given the description, dominion was given to it at the end of verse 6. Now, as we look at these first three beasts, we went through them rather quickly. We also do that because Daniel wasn't very interested in them. Daniel was really interested in the last beast. He's like, this one looks pretty scary. And we don't really even know how to represent the last beast. This artist has created like a dinosaur figure. 
Um, other scholars, they go to Revelation 13, where the beast is kind of a conglomeration of all four different animals. We're just going to go with this artist's rendition of it for the purpose of, of, the, of the sermon here. We get a lot of information about this beast, and I want to take a look at that information in the text. Look at verse 7. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Now that description there of stamping and crushing and, you know, eating and clawing and doing all this stuff, and then anything that's left, it just kind of stamps and smashes out. You know, what does that sound like? Now, I recognize that there's a lot of correspondences to the Roman Empire, and that's what a lot of people say that this beast represents the Roman Empire, maybe in its infantile form. But who's the king? Remember, in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 17, it says these four great beasts are for kings. Who would the king be of the Roman Empire? Caesar Augustus, Julius Caesar. You know, it's kind of hard to pin it on a specific king. But if you think of this beast, and if you think about it from an eschatological perspective, an end times perspective, who is the beast of this kingdom? It's very clearly the Antichrist, the little horn. When we look at history, we look back at the Roman Empire and we're like, wow, what an empire. It endured for so long. The Roman Empire is nothing compared to this beast. This guy's going to be a conqueror. He's going to be a destroyer. He's going to trample and stomp, and then there's nothing left. So there is a correspondence to Romans chapter 2 and Roman, uh, Romans. Daniel chapter 2. There is a correspondence to Nebuchadnezzar's image in Daniel chapter 2, where there seems to be the Roman Empire there in Daniel 2. But the focus in Daniel 7 is not on the legs as much as on the toes of Nebuchadnezzar's image, if you're familiar with the Daniel 2 image. The toes, the ten toes. Here we have the ten-horned beast. And this is the king that it comes out of the sea. Let's go ahead and look at this king a little bit more, or this uh, beast a little bit more in, verses eight, in verse 8. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first ones were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things." We're going to talk about that horn in a little bit. But first, the, the text kind of weaves back and forth, by the way. It, it kind of is like, okay, here's the vision. And then, hey, angel, why don't you tell me some more about that thing? <laughs> and then we have that discourse. And so we're going to get some more information on that last horn in just a moment. But first, what do we have? The vision continues, and it's no longer focusing on the four beasts, but on the king of kings. The Lord gives dominion to the king. In verses 9 through 14, we have a little interlude in verse 11. But let's look at verses 9 and 10 first. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Who is the Ancient of Days? That is God the Father. He's the one that's giving the gifts. 
He's the one that gives dominion. He's the one that appoints the king of kings. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him and thousands, thousands served him. As we read through that text, you might be thinking of Revelation 4 and 5. You may be thinking of Ezekiel chapter 1. I'd encourage you to study out the throne room of God. It's a fascinating study, but we don't have time to go through all of that today. Here, I'd like for you just to imagine it. Think about it and imagine God, the Ancient of Days, seated upon his throne. What does he do upon his throne? He opens books. Well, books are opened. Okay, notice the passive verb at the end of verse 10. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. The books. You know, we don't, we don't like to think that somebody's keeping track of all the stuff that we do. But, well, you know, especially for the unbeliever, God is keeping an account. The kings of old, they would, when there was a battle, the kings of old, they would get a nice high spot and they'd sit there. Xerxes did this when they were invading the Greeks. And what would he have? He'd have a recorder there, maybe two, and he'd be watching. And he'd see how the battle played out. And he's like, that guy was a traitor! Write down so-and-so's name! And of course, after the battle, you can imagine what happened to that guy. So-and-so, man, they just blasted those guys! Write down his name. So then after the battle, certain people were promoted, and certain people lost their heads. The books, God is keeping an account. And this can be a source of fear or consolation. For the unbeliever, it's a source of fear because you will be judged by those books. We learn that in Revelation 20. For the believer, it's a source of consolation because how you are wronged, how you are sinned against, guess what? The court sat in judgment. The Lord gives dominion to the king, and at that time, the, the, the judge of all the earth does what is right. Verses 11 and 12, let's read on. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over, okay, there's one of our passive verbs, to be burned with fire. As, the, as for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were given over, okay, prolonged, for a season and a time. Now, in verse 13, we actually see the Lord giving the dominion to the king. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. That title, son of man, Jesus used that title again and again, because who is Jesus? He is the son of man. He is the one who receives this kingdom from the ancient of days. The son of man, he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given. That's a very fascinating theological concept. Jesus doesn't take authority. He lets God give it to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. It will not pass away and his kingdom will not be destroyed. The Lord gives dominion to the king. So this is the second gift that we have.
third gift that we have is that the Lord gives justice to the saints. From whom does the Lord give justice? From the displacing horn. Who is this guy, this little horn? What do we see about him? What do we learn about this displacing horn? I want to read in verse 19. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron, claws of bronze, devoured and stamped whatever was left of its feast. Verse 20. And about the ten horns that were on its head, the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell. Now let's think through that. There are ten horns on the head, and the one horn comes up and displaces the three. So how many horns are left? Eight, okay? And there are a total of 11, because the one replaces the three. The horn that had eyes and a mouth and spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. In the artist's rendition of this picture, I love that picture, by the way. It's just kind of so cool. The guy's going nuts. But the horn is described how? As a little horn. And what body parts does it have? Eyes and a mouth. And this is just something that I want to throw in as a quick little aside. When somebody creates an artist's rendition of something, remember that the word is the true description of it, all right? The pictures are really cool. I really like this picture. I really, really do. But the horn's not little, and it's got ears. <laughs> he was off. I've talked to believers and even some unbelievers, you know? Hollywood produces a movie on Noah, Let's read the Bible, people, okay? Hollywood's movie on Noah was just terrible. And I was talking to an unbelieving friend, and he thinks that's what the Bible story of it is. I'm like, no, that wasn't it at all, friend. It wasn't even close. So when we see an artist's rendition of something, let's remember that it's an artist's rendition, and, and the text itself is our true guide. Who is this person? He's the man of sin. He's the king of Babylon from Isaiah 14 that we, did, that we looked at a few weeks ago. He is the Antichrist. Look at what he does, particularly in verses 21 and 22. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. This man will hate God's people and he will fight them and he will win. How big is your God, believer? As you reflected upon the persecuted saints throughout the world, what does it look like in their world? It looks like the horn is winning, and it's not fair. It's wrong, because I thought God was sovereign. I thought he was in control. I'm not seeing it. What does it say in this text? Verse 22, until... The forces of evil may prevail for a time until. Until the ancients of days came and judgment, here's your passive verb, was given for the saints of the Most High. 
And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Who is this guy? He is the one whom the saints are given into his hand. We see that in verses 21 and 25. Let's look at 25. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law and they shall be given. How big is your God? If persecution comes to the United States of America, how big is your God? Will you understand that this persecution, this horn, that ruler that's oppressing you, that authority that they have was given to them by God. The, the Antichrist, he will speak words against the Most High. He will intend to change times and law. Justice will be given to him. He will sit in judgment and God will mete out justice in favor of the saints. And that's the third point. The Lord gives justice to the saints. We've already discussed this in verse 22 and then also in verse 26. This idea of justice and judgment is sprinkled through this text. We have the justice in the courtroom scene in verse 10. We have the the judgment being given to the saints in verse 22. And then in verse 26, the court shall sit in judgment and the little horn's dominion will be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. That's a reference to the lake of fire and the judgment that was described in verse 11. The Lord gives justice to the saints and this is what, believer, we need to focus on. When we think of the, the injustices in our culture, the uh, persecution worldwide, we need to reflect upon the Lord. He is the true king and he will give justice to the saints. The final point that we see in this text is that the Lord gives the kingdom to the saints. And this is a fascinating thing to think about. That you, as a believer in the Lord Jesus, will actually rule and reign with the Lord Jesus. We see this kingdom terminology throughout this passage. Kingdom, dominion. I want you to look first at verse 18. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. The saints... Get the kingdom. Now, what does the text say previously? In, in verses 1 through 15, the, the saints of the of Most High, they're not even mentioned there because the focus is not on the saints, but on the king. In the latter part of the text, the focus switches. It's no longer the king, but it's the saints. The saints of the Most High receive the kingdom. In verse 22, the saints of the Most High they're uh, given, the, uh, the saints possessed the kingdom. And then in verse 27, the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given. To whom? The people of the saints of the Most High. Believer, for what kingdom are you serving? The kingdom of the United States of America or the kingdom of heaven? the kingdom of the Messiah, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. How much time do you spend paying attention to politics? You know, we live in such an interesting age. You can watch politics all the time. I went and visited my dad in Florida one time, and, you know, my dad, he likes to watch news. And I watched so much news, and it was really interesting. And it can be really interesting. And you know what can happen? 
hour, 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 hour. You know what you could do in that time? How consumed are you with the kingdom of this earth? We need to be concerned about the Messiah's kingdom. We need to be studying the word. We need to have our lives sanctified. You want to reach out to that neighbor, that friend? You know what the first step in that is? Confess your sin. God can't use you unless you're ready to confess your own sin, to repent of your own sin. Look at the scriptures. See the sin in your own life. Pray that dangerous prayer. Lord, what sin is in my life that I need to confess? It can be a little bit scary. You might have to let go of something. You may need to throw away something, okay? Like a computer or let go of the video games, okay? I mean, that's one we deal with all the time at the school. Kids love to play video games, okay? It's a waste of time. Hour, 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 hour for my pride, okay? You know, we need to get rid of these things in our lives, sanctify ourselves, and then reach out. Work, work for something. <laughs> Lay up treasure for yourselves, not on the earth where moth and dust corrupt, but in heaven where thieves cannot break in and steal, it will be there for eternity. Believer, have an eternal perspective and inherit the kingdom. Lord, I thank you for this time that we were able to look at Daniel chapter seven. I pray for the believers here that they would not be, be uh, um, distracted by the affairs of this world, by the kingdom of the United States of America. Help us to be responsible citizens, Lord, but to remember that our true citizenship is in heaven. And in Jesus' name, amen.